0: This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Uh, That song, the the original hymn, was written by a a man named Horatio Spafford. You may be familiar with the story, and if you are, then I'm going to remind you of it again. And if you're not, then you'll learn something. Um, So in the 1870s, he was a wealthy man who lived in Chicago. Uh, He had invested in some real estate, and then in 1871, a fire just decimated a a large part of Chicago and a lot of the real estate he had purchased had burned up and he and his family had planned a trip to Europe and so his wife and his four daughters boarded that ship to go to Europe while he stayed behind to take care of the the business dealings or whatever he had to do from the loss of the fire and then uh, at 2 a.m. while that ship was crossing the Atlantic Ocean another ship collided with it. And in under 12 minutes, the boat that had his wife and four daughters on it sank to the bottom of the ocean. There were, I think, 330 people on board, and 87 of them survived. And he received a telegram from his wife that said, Saved Alone. And then when he got on a ship to meet his wife in Europe, as he was passing over the place where they were pretty sure that that ship went down that sank with his four daughters on it, he wrote the song, It Is Well. And that is amazing faith. Uh, and that, that story can, can encourage us, uh, stir things in us. Um, and if I can be honest with you all right now, um, I've never experienced that level of grief. His, his daughters were young. So I, I don't, I don't want to overspeak here. But there are times when tragedy or grief can bring a clarity of mind to us. We see what's really important in front of us. And then it's like, it's my everyday that I have the hardest time saying it is well. It's when I sleep through the alarm and I wake up in a panic because I have to get my kids up and get them dressed and pack their lunches and get them to school and I know I'm not gonna be able to do that in the amount of time that's there. My soul is not saying it is well. <laughs> I am just feeling all the things and running around like crazy or when you're in traffic and or somebody pulls out in front of you when you're late or uh, when I'm having an argument with my wife that I know is dumb, and I don't know why I'm so upset, and I can't figure it out, and we're just, like, I'm i am not saying it is well in that moment. Or when I'm, I feel left out by friends, or when I'm repeating the same thing to my kids over and over and over and over and over again, uh, I don't feel, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like it is well, and I'm not saying that like stuff shouldn't bother us. We're not supposed to like cruise through life like everything's fine. It's not. I don't think that's what the Lord's calling us to. But uh, I, I do feel a conviction that when people see me in my more ordinary moments, it's I'm not sure they always look at somebody who looks like they have their trust in the Lord. They they look at somebody who's real scattered and is running from one thing to another and is kind of twitchy like that. Squirrel on Ice Age, if you've seen that movie. Uh, I feel like that, that squirrel, Scrit, sometimes. Um, and that's one of the many reasons why I need Jesus. I didn't just need him when I was nine years old, when I first believed the gospel. Uh, I don't just need him a little bit. I need him a lot, and I need him every single day of my life. Because ordinary faithfulness is hard. Being faithful in the mundane ordinariness of life is difficult. We've been going through the book of Revelation with Pastor Mike, and it's been a great series, a great study, and and I've talked to many people who've said that they have had their own burden to share the gospel, just be increased. Like the our eyes are getting wider, our vision's getting wider to see the lost people around us to want to share the gospel with them, or our, our anticipation for Christ's return is is welling up inside of us. As we study that book, our eyes and minds are forced to consider the end of things when Jesus comes back, his triumphant return, when he makes all the wrong things right, and when he establishes his eternal kingdom where we get to be with him forever. We should think about those things and think about them often because that's reality for all of humanity, that Jesus is coming back. But you still had to wake up this morning and brush your teeth and maybe remind some other small humans that they need to brush their teeth. Or maybe you're almost out the door and you're like, yes, we're going to be on time. And then your one of your kids goes we didn't brush our teeth. And you have to go back so they can brush their teeth because they've had a number of cavities. I, I'm not speaking from personal experience there, but um, you had to comb your hair. You had to get dressed. You had to eat breakfast. You had to get in your car. You had to drive over here. And then in a little bit, you'll have to leave this place. You'll have to find a parking place at your favorite Mexican restaurant because that's where all the Christians go on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and I hope you leave a really good tip. Um, uh, but... Then you'll have to go home and there's if if you're like me you have mountains of laundry that need to be folded and put away or maybe they need to be washed and then folded and put away or you have grass that needs to be cut you have chores that need to be done there's football games to watch dishes to be put away there's a lot of of ordinary things happening around us tomorrow you might go back to school or go back to work or if you're retired then you'll wake up to another list of things that you have to do to pass another day as we wait on jesus's return most of our days are spent in these ordinary moments, this, the, the mundane of life, the ordinary tasks that fill up our days. And we want to be faithful in those moments too, not just in the big ones, because I think in those small moments, that's how God changes us most often, not through the, the big ones, but through normal days lived faithfully for him. And the main point today, if you, if you want a summary of today's sermon, is that God transforms lives by transforming us. One day at a time. God transforms lives by transforming us one day at a time. And maybe like me, I feel like it's, it's more common in younger generations to say, I, I just call myself young. I don't know. Depending on what you think young is. Some of you think 38 is like 12. And some of you think 38 is like 60. Whatever it is. Um, maybe you want to see grand things. You want to be a part of something big. Or maybe you're just looking at your life and wondering, am I making a difference here? And, and then you just find yourself in another ordinary day filled with ordinary things. And I think God wants us to see the significance in ordinary faithfulness. So today we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the end of that chapter starting in verse 42. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be one in the pew in front. That's not a pew, that's a chair. In the chair in front of you. Uh, and we want you to take If you don't have one, we would love for you to take one home with you. Uh, We believe that this is the word of God and that it is good for you and all of your life and all of your living And we want you to have a copy Um, But acts chapter 2 As you're turning there um, before we read this passage together. I want to give you a little bit of context because at this point Jesus had already come into the world. He had lived a sinless life. He had taught many things He had died on a, a roman cross in our place He had risen from the grave and he had ascended into heaven and then his disciples were cowering in Jerusalem, afraid that they were going to be persecuted just like him. But then the Spirit of God came on them. We call that Pentecost, if you've ever heard that word. When the Holy Spirit descended onto the disciples and these men who were, who were terrified, hiding behind a locked door, all of a sudden were filled with boldness. And they went out into the streets and just started preaching Jesus in the middle of Jerusalem. And Peter gets up and he delivers this whopper of a sermon. If you haven't read Acts chapter 2 in a long time, then I encourage you this afternoon to go back and read that. But the bulk of Peter's sermon is recorded there. He proclaims the the risen Jesus as the Messiah. And then many people respond by saying, what should we do? And he says, repent. Believe the gospel and be baptized. When we say repent, we just mean change your mind. The world, our enemy is telling us that God doesn't really love us or that he doesn't really exist or he doesn't really know what's good for us. And we want to change our mind. Reject those lies and see God for who He is and believe that Jesus really did come as God in the flesh into the into the world to redeem us and to bring us back into a relationship with God. So he tells them to repent and he tells them to be baptized. And baptism does nothing to save us. Baptism is just the first step in obedience as a believer. It's it's us getting up in front of a body of believers and saying, I believe what you believe. I'm united with Jesus in his death. That's why we dunk people under the water. And then I'm living with him. I've been ris- raised with Christ to new life. And we pull them back out of the water. It's, it's a symbolic sacrament, which is just like ritual. We practice two sacraments in uh, the evangelical church. And baptism is one of them. It's the first first step of obedience for believers. And the other one is communion. But we'll, we'll talk about communion uh, here shortly. Um, but I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. <clears throat> They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And may God bless the reading of his word. Um, There's a lot going on here. Um, First of all, we want to talk about, uh, if, if we're talking about God transforming lives through transforming us day after day. The first thing that we want to talk about is a personal transformation, because that's what we see that, that has taken place here. Verse 41, it says that 3,000 people believed the gospel that day and were baptized. And I, when I read stuff like that, I have lots of questions. Like, how in the world do you baptize 3,000 people in one day? Like, that's a long day. And how many people are baptizing them? Like, is it like an assembly line? Like, how are? We, like, anyway, I just wonder those things sometimes. How, how do you baptize 3,000 people? Um, but there was a lot going on. Um, there They're in Jerusalem. There were a lot of Jews. The Jews were primed to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Many of them had rejected him, but the Jews in general had been looking for the Messiah. They'd been looking for deliverance. They'd been looking for this promised one to come. So when Peter comes out and preaches that sermon in Acts 2 and says, Hey, this Jesus who died and rose from the dead, he's the one. Many of them were just ready to believe already and obviously god was doing a massive work they they had seen jesus for three years in and around jerusalem walking and talking teaching eating miracling, if that's a word doing doing many miracles um but they were they were expecting that god had already been transforming them day by day in preparation for jesus's initial coming into the world his incarnation um And then if you notice in in verse 41, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but it says that 3,000 were added to them that day, which makes us ask the question, who added them? And we must, we must answer that with God. It wasn't Peter. I mean, he stood up and preached. The disciples stood up and preached, but it wasn't their words. It wasn't, it wasn't their work. The Lord saves people. We, we proclaim the gospel. God saves people. Take some of the pressure off yourself, um, And if you've heard about Jesus, been curious about Jesus, then we're really glad that you're here. We we want you to come and gather with us and try to answer some of the questions you might have. And we want to be clear that we wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh. He's fully God and fully man, and he came to take away the sin of the world. He paid for our rebellion against God by dying on a brutal Roman cross, and he poisoned death from the inside when he died in our place. He rose from the grave three days later, and he said he was going to do that before he did it. And when he rose from the grave, he proved that he was God. He proved that he could be trusted. He proved that everything he said was be tr- could be trusted and was true. Um, God tells us that whoever believes that Jesus rose from the dead and then confesses with their mouth that he is Lord, then they will be saved. They'll be made new. And we pray that as you this morning, that you'd be brought into a right relationship with God and that you would have that relationship both now and forever. We we beg you to believe it. And if you have more questions, because that was a short summary of a lot of things. If you have more questions, please ask them. Even if you've been around here for a while and you feel like you should already know the answers, please ask those questions anyway. Talk about these things. Wrestle with these things. There's, there's no better way that, that many people in here would rather spend their Sunday afternoon than sitting down with you and talking about the questions that you have about Jesus. So ask the person who invited you. Find me after the gathering. Find one of the other members here. We would love to talk to you about it. Um, but when you believe, God continues working in your heart. In verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves. These are the new believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. So they're, they're dedicated to the teaching. They are ready to receive more of God's word. They want to know what's... Like, they want to know what's in God's word. They want to grow. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter says, "...like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation." If you have tasted that the Lord is good and he's not saying that you need to earn your salvation He's just saying desire the word spend time in the Word, so that you can mature and become like Jesus You've been saved if you believe the gospel and you want to continue growing that we call that process Sanctification or being made more holy being made more like Jesus And then it says they were dedicated to fellowship that they wanted to be around other believers They wanted to gather they wanted to be with like-minded people who could challenge them and encourage them and teach them further. And then it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread, which is a reference to the other sacrament I mentioned, the, the Lord's Supper or communion. And this we take bread and we take juice or some other church traditions take wine. And they, they symbolically represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And we take those things together so that we can proclaim to one another that Jesus died on our behalf. That his body was broken, his blood was spilled for us. And that, that sacrament, we practice that. We, here we do that quarterly. Um, but we practice that to remind one another of what has happened for us. And that we've been, that, that God is now dwelling in us in his Holy Spirit and changing us from the inside out. And so they, they were devoted to, to practicing the sacraments. They took their faith seriously and it says they were devoted to prayers. They wanted to talk to God. They wanted to spend time with him. And these people, many of them probably weren't doing these things before. I mean, they weren't taking communion before. There were things that they were newly devoted to because there was a desire that was born in them, that was growing in them. The Holy Spirit was working in them too. So the Spirit was working in Peter when Peter stepped out to preach. And then that whole scene is really awesome for another reason. Because... Uh, the other disciples are speaking different languages, and the people who are listening are like, wait, I can hear this in my own language? And they get confused, and they're like, these guys are drunk. And so Peter starts his sermon by being like, hey, hold on, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m., which is a weird way to start a sermon. Um, (laughs) But it happened. You should go read it. These people had these new desires in them, the Spirit's working in them, just like it was in the Apostles' And the, the new desires they have, these, this new devotion was evidence that God was at work in their lives. And we, if we're growing in Christ, we're going to have the same devotion. We're going to want to be together. We're going to want to grow in the word. We're going to want to practice our faith through the sacraments. We're, we're going to want to pray and spend time talking to God. Being devoted to these things means that they practice them regularly. God transforms lives by transforming us one day at a time. And this particular day was a really big day. There's significant things happening. Many people were, were personally transformed. And then there's this communal transformation that's taken place as we continue reading in verse 43. It says, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So there were lots of miracles. And throughout the Bible, if there were lots of miracles taking place because God was giving a new message and he was confirming that message through the miracles. And that was happening in the early church. There's a lot of them recorded that Jesus performed in the gospels. And then there's a lot of them recorded that the apostles uh, performed. Or God performed through them. Uh, in the book of Acts. And they still happen in places today. God still works in supernatural miraculous ways today. We just don't see that as much here. In part because the gospels here. People are familiar with it. They at least know the idea of it. Even if they don't believe it. But... Um, The awe and fear that's mentioned, we don't know if that came as a response to all the miracles that were being performed, that the community looked at these people with awe and fear. We don't know if God just calls that as a way of protecting them, but we do know that that peace they experienced among their community, that, that awe and fear that fell around the believers, it did protect them and allow them to establish the church early on and prepared them for the persecution. If you keep reading in Acts, it happens real fast that people start dying because of Jesus so God, God allowed them to, to be established and get the legs under them very similarly to the way when Israel came into the promised land in the Old Testament. There was a period of time God delivered them, brought them into the promised land in these really miraculous ways. And all the people who were living in the promised land already were like, whoa, these people aren't to be messed with. And it allowed Israel to kind of, again, get their legs under them before the fight that was in front of them. And we see that God repeats that pattern with the early church. But this new community was was not normal. Verses 44 and 45. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. That That's not normal. At least not in America. Like we... We have a very, like, individualized sort of culture. It's, it's about me and what's right for me or what's right for my family. And we make decisions based on us. And if things are falling apart for you, like, I might reach out and help some. But mostly I'm like, oh, that stinks. And I try not to look as I drive past. Like, that's kind of the way culture teaches us to treat one another. We're not, we're not a very communal society in general, which is why if we live this kind of stuff out, it will break the brains of the people around us because they're not going to understand why we love one another so much which then gives us opportunity to point them to Jesus. There's this, this transformed community. And I want to be clear, I feel like every time like Acts 2 gets preached, we have to say this is not communism, which seems weird to me to say, but none of these believers were forced to give their stuff away they were making a choice to sell their things to take care of one another that's not like everybody gives their stuff to the government and the government says okay here's your portion that's that's communism what they were practicing was just this communal care for one another so they they had they were open-handed with their possessions and they distributed the money that they made from selling them to help take care of one another um in the Dominican Republic, every time we go, we've been, I don't know, five times maybe now. Uh, every time the team, team goes, there's always a conversation among the team like, man, these people take care of one another and look out for one another. And we saw that pretty clearly when we were down this summer. Uh, we got to do vacation Bible school in these neighborhood churches. And we would show up at this little church and they'd be like, okay, here's a group of kids, follow them around the neighborhood and they'll bring more kids with you. like with you. So we would just walk this lap through the neighborhood, and as we did, more and more kids just filed in line, and our group would grow as we walked down the street. And at first, I was like, this is weird. These parents are being reckless, because that's my American brain. But all of these kids knew one another. Their parents knew one another. And the older kids looked out for the younger kids. So when we would walk along a busy street, the older kids would reach out and grab the hand of a smaller one. And they they just took care of each other. When we passed out snacks, if the little ones were still hungry, the big ones would give them their snacks. And sometimes it was because they were just letting, trying to quiet down a kid who's just too rambunctious. But when you give a kid who's rambunctious more sugar, it doesn't quiet them down. But anyway, uh, it was just it was eye opening to see these people taking care of one another, and and the contrast between the way we interact with our neighbors. Like we've talked about before, like when your doorbell rings, everybody like did we order something? Like, what? Who's there? Like, yeah, we have fear of neighbor. Um, we're, not, we're not looking out for one another. So if we practice this kind of community, um, it, it will not go unnoticed in, in the world around us. It's like something in our bones also knows that we're meant for, for this type of community rather than the way that, that we live right now and Christianity is a communal faith when when you're when you believe the gospel when Christ calls you he's calling you to himself but he's also calling you to other people and if if this body of believers is not the place that you feel like you fit and you're called to then like praise God we're we're glad that you're a believer and we we want you to be here but if you can't be here we want you to be a part of a faithful like Bible-believing, gospel-believing church, and we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to think of our neighboring churches as enemies. They are our partners. We're, we're together in this. A, and we can't practice our faith without one another. While our, our faith doesn't save one another, it absolutely does strengthen one another. On the Sundays when I come in here and I'm dragging because I'm upset at myself that I yelled at my kids in the car on the way here or Jenna and I were fighting last night or th- this morning. She's not in town, so we couldn't fight today, so take that. Uh, but like I'll come in and I'm like, man, like I'm so like dejected. And then I'll stand there and we'll stand up to sing and I can hear y'all's voices singing praises to the king. And it's like God's turning my eyes towards him through you. And through your faithfulness, like we, we can strengthen one another's faith. We're supposed to. The church is God's design for bringing salvation into the world. In the Old Testament, his people were a nation. In the New Testament, his people are a global community that are united by the blood of Jesus. And you can't, again, you can't be a Christian alone. And I want to acknowledge the church is not perfect. And if you've been here for more than eight seconds, you know that. Uh, if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, you've been hurt by Christians and you might've been hurt by people in this church. We know that people have been hurt here. And when it happens, we do the best we can to own the wrongdoing that we've committed. And then we, we try to reconcile and try to work it out. And when that happens, it's beautiful. When when broken relationships are mended because of the gospel, it is a beautiful thing. And the relationships weirdly seem stronger after the tension than before. But that's kind of a side note. Um, There are other times when when reconciliation doesn't work out and people decide to leave. And it hurts every time. And we hate it every time. But we, we hope for the best when we pray for people who feel like they need to move on. And even though people get hurt in church, we're going to get hurt in church, the church is still the bride of Christ. And you probably know people who say, I'm a Christian, I believe the gospel, I do my own Bible study, I just, church ain't my thing. And like, I get the, the sentiment or the mentality, but it's, like, it's not possible to faithfully follow Jesus by yourself. It's a communal faith, we're meant to do it together, we need one another. And Jesus tells us that people will know that we're his followers by how much we love one another. And too often, that's not the picture that people get of the church. Our friends and family outside the church should be able to tell how much we love one another by the way we talk about each other, and also by the way we act, by the way we interact with the church. If church is optional for us or if we never try to get to know people beyond the couple hours that we overlap in this building, then we're, we're doing church wrong. And I'm not talking about like you're new here and you're kind of feeling it out and you're nervous to, to reach, like be vulnerable because you've been hurt in the past. I'm not talking about – you need to be wise and be careful. Don't just come into a place and overshare and, and jump in. Uh, sometimes people get hurt doing that. I'm not talking about that. But if you've been around a place for years and years and years, like, keep taking those steps closer to Jesus and closer to others, closer to his people. Like, just take, take the baby steps if you have to. Um, I love Ultimate Frisbee. Have any of y'all ever played Ultimate Frisbee? Not very many. Okay, I'm going to explain what it is. I can't really explain what it is because it's like you take a Frisbee and you play Frisbee on a football field. Um, but it's like... I feel like it's a sport that gets a bad rap because hippies in college play it barefooted on the campus. But like when the game is played really well, it is a beautiful game. It is so much fun, and it's exhausting, and I love it. I got to play in a rec league in Raleigh when Jenna and I lived in Chapel Hill, and I played several seasons up there, and I love that game. So when he came down here, I looked for like places to play, but then I got involved here at the church. Then we had kids, and like, I, I haven't played in years, but I found... Uh, a pickup ultimate frisbee sort it's not a league but it's just a group they meet at the research park uh in cannapolis uh and like out in the lawn and they meet on tuesdays and i joined a group chat to be able to to keep up with when they're they're meeting because they'll text each other every week that they're going to meet i've been in that group chat for three years how many times do you think i've played ultimate with those people Zero. Zero. I love Ultimate Frisbee, I love that game, but I obviously don't love it enough to like actually take my disc and take my cleats and get in my car and drive across town and have some awkward interactions with people out on that field to play Ultimate with them. I don't know if that analogy is landing with you, but we, we can love something, but if we're not participating in it, then like, do we, do we really love it? I'm not trying to beat up on anybody I'm not I'm not trying to talk bad about you or anybody else like there are there are plenty of legitimate reasons not to be in church there are physical problems there are family problems there's there's health issues there's there's travel there's vacation there's work there's there's plenty of reasons not to be here the question is not have you been in church this many times this year the question is do you prioritize gathering with other believers and if you don't why not Because as we sang, Jesus is enough. He's enough to help us gather with one another, even though we've been hurt. He's enough to help us want to wake up on Sunday morning and fight our kids to get dressed or just wipe the sleep out of our eyes and take a shower and drive across town to come over here. He's worth it. Average uh, church attendance is twice a month. The average church member attends church twice a month. And I really don't want you to try to, like, sideways glance at people and try to remember when the last time you saw them. Like, that's not the point of me sharing that. It's just a reality that we live in. Church attendance has dropped off. As the American church, we don't prioritize the gathering as much as maybe generations in the past did. And that's something that us young people, if you consider me young, can learn from older generations who have been faithful for years and years and years and years and years. We need one another at at every generation. We don't show up to church to hear great music and hear inspiring Ted talk about Jesus. That's obvious based on this morning's sermon. Um, We show up to hug, to shake hands with our brothers and sisters, to look them in the eye, to acknowledge the dignity that was placed in them by their maker as image bearers of God, to, to study the word with them in Sunday school, to sit next to them, to stand up and sing uncomfortably loud with them if you're me. I don't sing well. I feel like I mention that every time I preach, but I feel really bad about it. Like singing is a big part of what we do and I feel like I'm assaulting all of you with my my, my voice when I sing loud. Uh, that's I, I gotta get over that. We we gather to share convictions with one another that we've had from God's word. To do that here and then to do it when we go to lunch with our families or with friends. So we can go back to our weeks refreshed and rejuvenated to face another string of ordinary days. Where we want to shine like lights reflecting God's glory so we can tell others about him. When Peter's talking about believers in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We gather because it's who we are. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for God's possession. And we gather to proclaim, not just listen to, the praises of our God who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We gather because we need it. Our souls need it. Our communities need it. Each and every ordinary Sunday. We gather together to grow a little more in knowledge, love, and obedience to God for his glory. We give up sleep. We deal with that family car fight. We we come and we sit in, or we gather in this building among other broken sinners, worn out, who need another reminder that God's mercies are new every morning. And despite our failures this week, God still loves us and has redeemed us through his son. And his spirit is working in us day by day to make us more like him. Each Sunday we gather, it is a shadow, a, a, a pale shadow of what eternity is going to be like when God's people are with him forever. And this transformation it happens personally, it happens communally. We have to do it together, but it also happens continually. The work God's doing in us is a lifelong work. When you believe the gospel, you're committed to a life of being made new. To years full of days that are filled with ordinary moments of dying to yourself so that you can follow Jesus. And sometimes we crave the verse 41 moments. 3,000 people were saved at one time. If, if, if you know about Billy Graham events, thousands of people hearing the gospel, thousands of people being saved, like that can well up in us, and we want that. We want highs in our life. And we get bored or sad in the mundane, in the ordinary day-to-day life that God has actually placed us in. I've been reading a book that I highly recommend to you by Tish. I always get her names backwards. Tish Harrison Warren. It's called *The Liturgy of the Ordinary*, and she quotes. Uh, I can't. She quotes like a, a monastery who had this sign up that said, "Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants. Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. We all desire." The big stuff, the world changing moments, but we don't create those things like our cleverness, our hard work can't create or drum up revival. But you know what does ordinary Christians living faithful lives in ordinary moments and committing themselves to an extraordinary God together. Every revival that's 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 happened, every awakening of people to God in in world history has happened because ordinary people have followed an extraordinary God through ordinary moments. And it just built and built and built into something massive. In verse 46 and 47, we see more of the pattern of these believers' lives. It says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day they would meet in the temple courts... And remember, many of them were Jews. So the temple was the center of a a lot of things in their lives already. And they considered themselves to still be Jewish. Their faith in Jesus, they just believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So they continued to gather among Jews to invite them to believe the same thing. And they just kept doing the things that they were already doing. They they just kept gathering with one another as they had been. But now they were doing it with other believers uh, inviting others to, to turn to the Lord. And our lives don't look like theirs. West Concord doesn't sit in the center of anything. People drive past our church at 60 miles an hour, even though the speed limit's not 55. Um, I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, but anyways, our church it in the center. People don't walk around here. Some of us live 15 plus miles from each other. Like, our lives don't overlap in a lot of ways. America's a very different landscape than first century Jerusalem. So what does this practice look like here and now? And I'm speculating, or I'm guessing, or I'm, I'm telling you what I try to do. I think it looks like Christians gathering with the body weekly and making time for one another throughout the week as they can. Different seasons of life take different shapes in what that looks like. When you have young kids, it makes it hard to go hang out with people and have late night dinners. But we have phones. We can call. We can text. We can share encouragement in other ways. We can reach out and ask for prayer, or we can call people to pray for them or just remind them that we are praying for them regular interaction mutual building up however that looks for you and maybe you have someone in your mind right now that you're like man i need to invite this person to lunch or that i had this conversation with somebody weeks ago months ago years ago and i would really like to follow up on it trust that that is the leading of the spirit and then make that happen make make that hang out or that gathering happen it said that they broke bread from house to house daily. And again, it's a reference to the Lord's Supper or communion. Um, and it's obvious that they weren't just taking communion with one another. They were eating meals together. They, they were sitting down. And I have a really utilitarian approach to food. I don't know if any of you do, where you sit down to eat, and then you eat all of your food as fast as possible. To see how little you can taste it. All right, That's what I feel like I do. I learned how to eat fast in school. Because they give you like 25 minutes to walk all the way to the cafeteria. Stand in line. Get down. Sit at the table. Get it all into yourself. Get your tray put back in a window. And then then you can leave. So like I started eating fast then. And then I framed houses in the summers. And it was like the faster you eat, the faster you get back to work. So that was the expectation. And that just reinforced for me that you just eat fast. So when, when I sit down to eat, I have a tendency to just shovel it down my throat. So I have, it's, like a, it's, a, it's a practice of mine to slow down and actually taste the food, enjoy the food, enjoy the people that I'm gathered with. It says that they ate with joyful and sincere hearts. They weren't begrudgingly at the table. Uh, I ate with a, someone one time. We invited a couple over to our house to eat supper, and we told them well in advance, Hey, we want to have supper with you guys. We told them what we were making, and they were like, yeah, cool, we'll be there. And then when they came, the the wife ate, and the husband had already eaten, and he sat at the table, but sat, turned sideways like this the whole time. Like, I could tell he didn't want to be there. And I ain't beating up on him. Like, I get it. He had other things he wanted to be doing. His wife dragged him into our house. Whatever. It happens sometimes. But uh, we don't want to be like that. that. That's not the kind of meal we're talking about. We sit down and be present with the people in front of us. Enjoy the company of the people you get to share a meal with. And if you haven't shared a meal with believers in some time, then make that happen. If you can't do it at your house, then do it at a restaurant. That's one cool thing about living in America. You can find any type of food, any place, and go sit down. They'll make it for you, sit it on the table, and you can just hang out and eat it until they run you off to try to fill the table up with somebody else. Um, But enjoy sitting down with other believers and sharing meals together. Jesus did that so much that his critics called him a glutton. He, this man eats too much. Like, anyways, um, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And daily folks were coming to know Jesus. And again, that favor could have been the struck defense that the, the Lord put around them. But it was also likely due to the way these believers were living. They enjoyed favor among their neighbors because their neighbors saw that they were genuine and sincere, that they were hungry for the word. They were in sacrificial, loving community. They were praying for one another, taking care of one another. You can read quotes. I I meant to pull it up and I I forgot to. Uh, It was a guy. He was a leader of a pagan religion in the first or second century. And he was like, these Christians, they lure people to their faith by taking care of the poor. It was like, they, like they're trying to get children to come with cookies. Like he was criticizing Christians because they were... He was like, they take care of their own poor and they take care of our poor. He's just mad that Christians were living the way that Jesus had called them to live. Like it was, it was noticeable. It was recorded in history that people noticed how believers were living and treating one another. Let that be true of us so that we can enjoy the favor of our neighbors. <clears throat> uh, yesterday... I told the students this this morning, or told the middle schoolers anyway. uh, I apologized to my neighbor. My house and his house are really close together. And one day I had the realization that when I'm yelling at my kids, like when I'm angry and get loud, that he can absolutely hear that. He spends a lot of time outside, like working on his car. And so he's like six feet from the window of where we do homework. And that seems to be a place where my voice rate... I was a shy kid in public, if you were here when I was a child, but I've always been loud at home. So I'm just loud in general, but then when I'm being an idiot, and I'm not listening to the Spirit, and I'm in my flesh, and I want my kids to obey right now, and my voice escalates. I just went out yesterday, I had this conviction, and I was... Uh, I had a bunch of cardboard that needed to go in the recycling, and I prayed. I was like, Lord, I feel like I'm supposed to apologize to him. Can you just make him come outside while I'm putting this recycling away? And if he does, I'll know I'm supposed to apologize. And I got to the last box, and that joker came out the back door. And I was like, dang it. And so then I have this awkward conversation, and he's like, I've never heard that. And I was like, oh, dang it. So now I'm just confessing it to you, weirdly. Uh, But I share that with you because I'm, I'm, it's just an ex- I'm just trying to be faithful. That was something I felt like the Spirit laid on me. I'm just trying to be faithful. And that, may, that conversation may lead to nothing. But I'm praying that it leads to more chances to share the hope that I have in Jesus. And that he'll come to understand and see that I really believe that I am a sinner saved by grace. That Jesus is transforming me little by little every day. And hopefully I'll yell less and less at my kids as the years go on, but we'll see about that. Um, the, Spirit can, the Spirit can do amazing things, I believe it. Um, but I, maybe you can think of other examples in your own life where you've, you've made difficult apologies or you baked something for someone as like a peace offering because there's tension between you and you, you hurt them or they hurt you and you just did this thing to try to smooth things over or you were honest about something that you knew was going to get you in trouble. Those moments matter because God is making you new. He's transforming you into the likeness of his son. And it may feel like those things are just drops in a bucket, but remember that God has done incredible things with small offerings. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says to us, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus with confidence. We can say that if you believe the gospel, God is doing a work in you and he's going to continue that work. And he's mostly going to do that through small, ordinary moments. Folding laundry, changing diapers, sending emails, doing homework, completing chores, driving across town. And in, in those chores, meditating on what you've read from his word. Or something that someone shared with you. Or praying over someone that, that you're burdened about. And in the midst of your busyness, you're engaging with the creator of the universe You can trust that those moments matter and that God is using them for your good and for his glory. The more we do that, the more in love with him we'll become. And then he'll become more wonderful to us every day. And our excitement for him will grow in us. That he's made himself known to us. And it will burst out of us. We won't be able to stop ourselves from talking about him. Uh, there's two guys, I can't remember the name of the book they wrote, but their names are Daniel Haynes and Michael Reeves. And they said, unless we honestly find God to be beautiful and enjoyable, we'll have nothing worth saying to the people around us. And God becomes more and more beautiful to us when we are faithful to him in the small moments. And so as the Lord was adding to their number every day, those who were being saved of course the Lord's doing that work, but he's also doing that work through his people who are faithfully pointing others to Jesus and telling people about Jesus. Do the little things that grow your affection for the Lord. Get in his word, pray, listen to worship music, get out in creation, be around friends, and it won't necessarily start bursting out of you in the grocery store checkout line with that kind of boldness. Maybe it'll start with a friend at lunch or over coffee. Maybe it's just You see them in passing and you share something with them or you send them a text or you share something about the hope that you've been given or how God comforted you with a particular verse. And those conversations will be born out of your everyday faithfulness. Get in his word. Take the gathering and the sacraments seriously. Encourage brothers and sisters, share your life and the things you have been given with others and trust that God will grow those seeds of ordinary faithfulness into a forest that becomes a place of refuge for your family, your friends, your neighbors, as they seek the Lord through your witness. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. God is transforming lives. He's still doing it, and we get to partner with him as he does. God is good. He's working in our lives and the lives of those around us. He's doing it today, tomorrow, and always. So let's be faithful. Let's pray. Father God we, God, we again thank you for the chance to gather in this place to open up your word together. We thank you for the reminders that we, we have to be faithful to you. Help us to have the desire to be faithful as we leave this place now, as we go about our lives and we go home or go wherever we're going from here. And when we wake up in the morning and go about the, the busyness of the ordinary lives you placed us in. We love you. We pray these things again in your son's holy and awesome name. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.